listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 7. Now in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, another has that. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Story City family. I'm glad you guys could be with us uh, here today. Thank you, Tracy, for leading us in that. Um, If you guys don't know me, my name is Jonathan. I have the privilege of being one of the elder candidates here on the Granada Hills team. Um, And I also serve as a director of engagement uh, for our family of churches, Story City Collective. And so uh, we are one church in two locations. We have our Burbank location, um, who's actually, like you guys heard earlier, is celebrating their seventh birthday today. Uh, we want to give it up for them. They're, they're doing an awesome job out there. But the reason why I want to recognize them um, is because God has used their generosity and their faithfulness to birth our church here in Granada Hills. God has been working in us for over a year now, uh, and with the help of Burbank uh, and and Pastor Jared and and the people there, we were able to plant this church five months ago through their help and their resources and things like that, so we want to recognize them. Uh, But some people would ask us, why would you do that, right? Why would you give away people, money? Why would you, uh, don't don't you want to grow a bigger church? Uh, Don't you want to have as much people as you can, as much resources? Why would you send? Why Why would you start more churches? And see, we are a family who believes that the health and success of our church is not determined by how many people we can get into our building and how large we can grow our church, but rather how many people we can send from here equipped to plant other churches. We want to bring glory to God by leading communities to have a healthy relationship with Jesus and others, and so that is why we are committed. We are sold out to seeing the San Fernando Valley and the LA County saturated with gospel-centric, neighborhood-focused, healthy churches that plant other churches. And so for us, what that means here at Granada Hills is that we need to be ready, that there's going to be a time here, just like there's a time at Burbank where we're going to be called upon, where God is going to move in us to see other kingdom work started here in the valley. And there's three ways as a people that we can prepare ourselves and participate in, what God, in God's activity. First, we need to pray. 
We need to pray that God would raise up leaders, that he would already be working upstream, that he would uh, get people's hearts ready, and that people would uh, be willing to uh, accept and understand and believe the gospel in repentance and faith. We need to give. Like we just had a time right now where we're giving. That money that you're giving is not, it's just not going to a bank account and it's just not padding a bank account. No, we're using that, those resources to uh, work in our community, to, to spread the gospel, to support missions, to support organizations like Young Life that are doing gospel work in our communities amongst our young people. And so we give and then go. There's going to be people that come through our church that have, uh, that, that present a vision for another city. Maybe it's Canoga Park. Maybe it's uh, Winnetka. Maybe it's Porter Ranch. Maybe uh, it's Panorama City. Maybe, who knows, it's Reseda. They're going to come and God is going to call them to start a kingdom work in that area. And God's going to move on your heart to go with them. To be a part of that team. To, to, to sacrifice your comforts and, and the closeness that we have as a family to say, man, we want to start this in other places. And so Granada Hills, as we celebrate uh, Burbank's seventh birthday, as we look back over the years, as we t- get older and as we celebrate birthdays, we want to look back and see, man, it wasn't how big our church got. It wasn't how many people we could fit and how, how big of a uh, social media influence we had, but rather it's going to be about how many churches and how much kingdom impact that we're going to be able to have as we disciple and equip you, as, we, as you are being equipped to do the work of the ministry as you go out and as we scatter and start more gospel preaching churches. And so today as I... As we go into uh, this message, I want to pray. We're going to pray for a couple things. First, we're going to pray for Burbank. We're going to pray that God continues to keep them healthy and that they thrive. We're going to pray for our commitment as a church, as a people, to the Great, the great Commission. That we're going to, that we're going to be able to be uh, committed to seeing uh, people disciple and preaching the gospel all across this valley. And then thirdly, we're going to pray for other works in our city that are trying to uh, share the gospel and make an impact. And we want to come alongside them because it's not a competition. We're working together to see God's kingdom advance. And so would you join me as we pray? And we're going to pray about these specific things. Father, we love you, God. We thank you uh, for the opportunity to be called your church. God, we thank you for Jesus and him uh, pursuing us, Lord, and coming to earth and dying on a cross and giving us the opportunity to have a relationship with you that's restored. Father, we thank you for our sister church, Burbank, Lord, and we thank you for uh, Pastor Jared and all the leaders and all the elders there, God, and we thank you for their heart to see the San Fernando Valley saturated with gospel-centered, neighborhood-focused, healthy churches. God, we ask that you would continue to bless them, Lord, that they would be faithful to your word, and God, that you would allow them to thrive in health, and that you would continue to provide for them in a way that's supernatural, that they would see growth, and they would be able to send more uh, planters and plant more churches, and God, that you would allow them to continue to be faithful, Lord, and they, they would persevere. God, we ask for our commitments to the Great Commission, Lord, that we would uh, love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we would love our neighbors as ourselves. and in doing so, we would go to uh, the ends of the earth, wherever you may call us, Lord, and that we would preach the gospel to every creature, and that we would make disciples, and God, that we would be committed to pray, to give, and to go, 
And God, we thank you for the churches in our valley. God, I want to pray for a few of them by name, Lord, today. And that, God, we pray for Restored Church LA and Chatsworth. God, we ask that you would bless them, that you would provide for them, and that they would continue to make gospel impact. God, we pray for uh, Metro Valley Church in Winnetica, God. Again, that they would uh, thrive, Lord, that they would be healthy. God, we pray for People's Church in LA and North Hills. God, we thank you for our partnership with them, Lord, and that they would, again, be reaching uh, those marginalized groups that they are so desiring to, Father, that you would help them to preach the gospel. God, we pray for Shepherd Church in Porter Ranch. Lord, we ask that you would continue to use them as a catalyst to help other younger churches. And God, that they would, again, to see the kingdom impact that you've placed upon their heart. God, we thank you for all of these churches. We think about Valley Park Church in North Hills. God, a, a, a smaller revitalization where, God, we ask that you would revitalize that church, God, that you would bring it uh, more uh, health and that you would bring it leaders, God, and that, that they would see gospel influence in their part of the city. Again, you want to work us, you want us to work in your activity, God. It's not about Story City. It's not about one church, but God, it's about you and the gospel and presenting Jesus and glorifying you. And God, we ask that we would be able to see this in the years to come and in the days to come. God, we thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As you guys know, we are doing a uh, series in 1 Corinthians. And last week, uh, we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. And at the end of chapter 6, we heard Paul's warning against sexual immorality. And um, again, Tracy said this a little bit earlier, but today there are going to be a few um, adult themes in our, 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 our sermon. So just if you have young people with you, just, just know that this is maybe something um, that you'll have to talk about a little bit later. But we hear Paul's warning against sexual immorality and how sex within a mutual, exclusive, joy-filled marriage builds intimacy and is described as being one flesh. The warning that Paul gives is based on how if we are in Christ, right, verse 15, 615, then we are one with him in a way that makes sexual immorality all that more serious because we are joining the body of Christ in a way that is inappropriate and outside of God's scope for what is righteous. He then goes on in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, he says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin is a uh, sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. So then. What is an appropriate use of our bodies sexually? Well, apparently there was a, a group in Corinth so concerned with uh, avoiding sexual immorality that they actually added rules to God's law and said, if sexual immorality is bad, then we will not even have sex with our spouses. This is a form of what we would call asceticism, and it's a strict denial of something for a religious purpose, even if it's a good thing, right? Now, I want to take a brief moment, I want to pause, and I want to I recognize 
that when it comes to marriage and when it comes to sex, trauma is a very real thing. There are people in this room that have endured some very hurtful and painful things. Whether it's physical or sexual abuse, toxic manipulative relationships, abandonment, addiction, or something else. I want to let you know that here at Story City, your story is welcome here. We understand that this can be a tough subject to talk about. And in your Christian life, you may feel lost about how Jesus can heal and bring hope in this area of your life. But we want to let you know that we are here for you. If you need someone to talk to to help you walk through these hard things, come speak to me after the service and I will get you connected with our care team that will handle that in a way that will be helpful for you. But the reason why there is so much hurt and pain around marriage and sex is because we live in a fallen world. Because of sin, what God designed as beautiful has been broken. But because of Jesus and his work on the cross, I have good news, these things can be restored. You see, the main issue the Corinthians faced was that they had simply tried to add Jesus to their culture instead of recognizing and living in their new identities and culture as apprentices of Jesus and in his new kingdom. You see, God didn't want them to stop having sex. Instead, he wanted them to enjoy and understand the importance of them doing it his way. And so that leads us to our big idea for today is this, that God wants us to enjoy healthy marriages that bring him glory. God wants us to enjoy healthy marriages that bring us, bring him glory. Now, we could spend a lot of time, okay, a good amount of time um, on Jesus' radical sexual ethic. But Paul is addressing an issue here within a specific marital context, okay? And so if you want more on Jesus' stance on sex, uh, I recommend you listen to a message that Pastor Jared preached at Burbank a year ago on August 15th titled A Theology of Singleness. And you can find that in the one-off section on the website uh, where, they, where they have all of our sermons. If you want a, a, a little bit more on what Jesus' stance on sex was, I would recommend you listen to that. Now, Paul, though, when he's speaking to the Corinthian church here, he has a framework uh, that, for marriage that, is heavily, that, that heavily impacts his statements that he makes. You see, before Paul became a Christian, Paul was part of an elite sect of Jews called the Pharisees. So this means growing up, he would have vigorously studied the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so Paul's framework for marriage, right, would have come from those books. And it would have come from the uh, creation account of marriage in the book of Genesis. So I believe it would be helpful if we understand that framework and we look at that, that, that account to understand what marriage is and to look at the very first message, or excuse me, for the very first marriage. So Genesis chapter two, 
Verses 18 to 24 says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they became one flesh." Here we have the very first marriage before sin, before we messed up the relationship between humans and God, before we messed up the relationship between humans and humans, and before we messed up the relationship between humans and creation. So let's take a look at how we messed that up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains and you will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken, uh, taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. You see, everything before this account was harmonious the way God intended it. God made man and woman in the garden and they were perfect in their relationship to God and they were together one flesh. They experienced sexual intimacy in a way that was perfect and so many times uh, in our world today, we look at sex as like a dirty thing and we look at uh, marriage as something maybe to be avoided but the way God intended it to be was this beautiful, harmonious thing that he created. Everything was balanced. Everything was harmonious. And then it changed. 
As, uh, as human beings, Adam and Eve, the Bible says that Adam uh, 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 sinned against God and Eve sinned against God and they ate the fruit, they disobeyed God's command. And now marriage and sexual intimacy and, and creation and our relationships with human beings, all of it, it's all broken until God's plan to reconcile it is revealed. And those of you who have been in any kind of relationship are painfully, painfully aware of its brokenness, right? Now, not every relationship is full of pain, but every relationship will ultimately fail to fill the deepest needs of our souls because they weren't meant to. Our relationship to God is the only relationship meant to fulfill that place reserved for and created by him. And so we, let's go back and see what marriage was supposed to be, uh, be like before we messed it all up. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. We have to first ask, first and foremost, what, why did Adam need a helper for? Right? What did he need a helper for? Before we do that, however, I love the way the CSB uh, translate this word, a helper corresponding to him. The word for helper here is not like a secretary or like someone who's an assistant. It denotes a partner, an equal. You see, a helper corresponding to him means someone who is a perfect complement or a balance to the other. And we know that this is how God created Eve because he pulls her out of Adam. You see, both are imagio Dei. That just means both are image bearers, that, uh, the reflection of who God is and how he is. They are re uh, reflections or mirrors that point back to the glory of the living God. So what were they supposed to partner in? You see, God created a kingdom, right? And he is the creator, king of that kingdom. But God created man and woman in his image after his likeness. And the invisible God created humans to be a visual display, a picture of what he is like. Even though he is king, he made humans his representatives in that kingdom. And he makes them responsible for leading it. God tasked humans to trust and obey him, to be representations of him. And, we, and in that, we bring him glory. And this is what the ideal marriage is. And it didn't take long to mess it all up. Adam and Eve, they rejected that call. And in doing so, they became sinful and began to die spiritually as would any of their offspring for all of eternity. They were made to leave the garden and the perfect relationship that, they, that once existed before sin is broken and the relationship between humans and God is broken and the relationship between humans and humans is broken and the relationship between humans and the earth is broken. But God had a plan to rescue us. Now, I know we're going over this a lot, but if we don't understand this account and what God's design for marriage is, then we won't understand what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians. 
God promised to rescue us. Genesis 3.15 said, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You see, this is the first telling of the gospel. This was a a prophecy that the first time that we see that God already had a plan before the foundation of the world to rescue and renew his creation through the person and work of Jesus. See, in the midst of disciplining humanity and cursing Satan for his role with Adam and Eve uh, and their treasonous act, God gave hope to them and by extension to all of the rest of humanity. He would not leave humanity without hope. You see, God's plan for whatever reason was to include us in a partnership with him to see restoration. Jesus, who is fully God, would take on a second human nature and enjoin himself forever to humanity. And he, would, and he becomes one of us while still being God. And God uses the church, his people, to be his hands and his feet and messengers to the world. You see, we are still called to be Imago Dei, the reflections of the living God. And we are supposed to be partners who together as husband and wife show the nature and character of God. Unfortunately, we still tend to mess this up. In verse 23 and 24 of chapter 2, we see this idea of marriage as a a reunification of the two beings that God brought us out of the one. Genesis 23 through 24 says, And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. See, this separate togetherness is a small picture of the Trinity, and it points to the balance God intended in the first marriage. God, man, and woman together in a unified relationship. Our treason broke it down, but God did not leave us that way, and he he figured it, we'll figure it out when he returns. Take a look with me at the punishment God responds to Adam and Eve's betrayal. He says this in 14, 19, he says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel, he said to the woman. I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, you are dust, and you will return to dust. So what was it that the serpent wanted? We know from other parts of scripture, he wanted the worship due to God, right? He wanted it for himself, and he wanted to destroy humanity. And God's response is to give him the exact opposite of what he desired. He would be humiliated for all of eternity, and he would not get glory. And he would ultimately be defeated through the very humanity that he wanted to destroy. This refers to Jesus' death and resurrection. 
What did sin do to Eve's character? Eve takes control. Before they were equal partners in the ruling of the world, but now Eve leads in rebellion against God. And I know, I know, right? Um, there's this idea, this generalization, right, that, uh, that women have control issues. But we see that, like, in the sense of uh, that it's a generalization, but part of that was from the fall. So what's her punishment? Nothing is easy anymore. Childbirth is exponentially harder. And her desire will be for her husband and he will rule over her. Now what did Adam do, right? Typical guy, he did nothing, right? He was content to sit back. He was, didn't want to lead. He let someone else lead. Now what is required of him? He must lead his wife. And nothing is easy for him anymore. He actually has to work now to benefit from creation. Now, again, I realize these are generalizations. However, we do see these character traits in men and women some of the time. Those traits that when we see them, they do not bring balance to a relationship. To counter those traits, God set in order to things so that we can achieve balance until the restoration God desires has come. So, unfortunately, many people, they misunderstood, they misunderstand uh, what rule over means. And so to help us, it is not a statement on the value or worth of a woman. It is not the lessening position or place of a woman, and it can't be. You see, women are still the homage day. They're still made in the image of God. And the created reflection of the living God, taken out of man. They are still the co-rulers of the kingdom of God. The ultimate king entrusted to men and women. It's very clear. We have a major problem when we elevate men or women to a place where we are not equal and balanced. So what is this referring to? And this is where we're going to kind of bring it back to 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul also wrote in Ephesians chapter number 5, Paul uh, asked, this, uh, Ephesus asked the same question somewhat that the Corinthians did. And the Apostle Paul explains this in chapter 5 of his reply to the church in Ephesus. He says this uh, in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. And so what we see here is a call for the wife to trust her husband's leadership and a mandate for the husband to lead like Jesus. 
This is not a ruling over or a, 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 a dictatorship, but rather husbands must lead like Jesus. They must follow Jesus's example. Now, from this point, I'm going to go really quick. So I want you guys to follow with me, okay? In order for us to enjoy healthy marriages and in order for us to glorify God with our marriages, if, if in Ephesians it says that we're, that we're supposed to follow Jesus' example, right? So that, so then, healthy marriages, okay? Healthy marriages is meant to mirror Jesus. That's the idea. That's God's design. And so, all of that, what God intended in the garden, right, what God uh, allowed humanity to go through, it was this beautiful plan that through Jesus, now as we follow him, as wives follow Jesus, as husbands follow Jesus, that now as we mirror what Jesus did, we can enjoy healthy marriages and we can bring glory to God. There's three ways, three traits, and I'm going to go quickly. Trait one, a healthy marriage reflects Jesus' humility. A husband, First uh, Corinthians 7, 3 through 4 says, a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Now looking at verses 3 and 4, if you've experienced trauma, that might seem kind of weird to you that a person doesn't have a right over their own body. But we see here that this is what, uh, again, is mirroring Jesus, right? In the light of Jesus's example, he humbled himself, right? He, he uh, had humility and he was God and he came in the form of, form of man and he did that so that we can have a relationship with him. And in that same way, right, we as husbands and wives need to humble ourselves to each other. Guess what? Just the same way in, in, in chapter six where he said, your, bo your body is bought with a price. So use your body to glorify God. The way that we do that in the marriage of the uh, in the context of marriage is that we offer our bodies up to one another that my body doesn't belong to myself it belongs to my wife and my wife's body doesn't belong to her it belongs to me Ephesians talks about how wives are, uh, wives are to lay down their lives, right? Verse 24, now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And husbands are to do the same. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Can you imagine the humility that it took for Jesus to go underneath him, right? To come to us. And in that same way, we're to humble ourselves, the second trait is this. A healthy marriage reflects Jesus' intentionality. Jesus was extremely intentional. Verses 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians 7 says, Do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. The word de deprived here doesn't mean you aren't allowed ever to say no. This passage is not saying that you don't have a choice when it comes to sex with your spouse. 
The word deprive, though, in this context means to cheat out or to withhold from when it is not right to do so. You see, essentially what Paul is saying is that sex in a a marriage relationship is not meant as a weapon to be used for manipulation or harm. He goes on to concede that there's appropriate times where where you come apart, right? But then he says that you need to come back together. Paul calls us to to sacrifice intentionally for our spouses and consider as we serve them that we're not using sex to harm them or to manipulate them, but for appropriate reasons, there are times where he encourages us to, to pray and to fast and then come back together. We see this same intentionality in the way that Jesus gave himself for the church. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. There was an intentionality there. And we need to have that same intentionality. Jesus gave himself to the church for the purpose of leading her to redemption and restoration. Everything he did, he did for the glory of God. And he did it to bring us to a place where we could have a relationship with God. Husbands and wives especially, but uh, especially husbands, we are called to be intentional in our marriages. To lead our spouses and our families in ways that glorify God and help to redeem the fallen world. And then lastly, our third trait. A healthy marriage reflects Jesus' sacrifice. In verse 7, uh, in, uh, excuse me, in verse number 2, but because of sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each, each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. You see, the reason why Paul was telling them to, to, uh, to practice this was because so much sexual immorality was going around, right? People were having sex with whoever they wanted. We heard about it um, earlier in the, early in the in the book. The son was having uh, sex with his stepmom, right? And they were giving themselves to temple prostitutes and all these different things. And now they have this knee-jerk reaction. No, we can't have sex with anyone. But he's saying, no, no, no. I gave you sex as a safeguard. That's the idea that he's saying here, that when you're practicing uh, sexual intimacy in the right way, it is protecting you from adultery. It is protecting you from sexual immorality. And so we have to sacrifice for one another. That God is giving us this opportunity to help uh, our spouse. Jesus did all of this for the church, right? He, he sacrificed himself for the church. Husbands and wives, we are called to sacrifice ourselves for our spouses. He did this in intentionality. He did this unconditionally, right? He, he didn't die for us because uh, we would accept him or he would say, oh man, I'm gonna convince them. No, he died for us. He gave us a place to belong. He gave us the opportunity to have a relationship in spite of whether or not we would reject him or accept him. He did it with an intentionality, right? 
Husbands, we are called to model this intentionality first. Not when our wives have met some standard, but before there's a reason because Christ did it and now calls us to do it as well. And wives, your reciprocated intentionality then completes this model for healthy marriages as Paul sums up in Ephesians. Ephesians 5.33, he says, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. And that's what it is. Now we know that this is a beautiful, when we see those traits, we're mirroring what Jesus, how Jesus lived, and we are living out in a gospel context. Jesus sacrificed. Jesus was intentional. Right? Jesus uh, uh, lived in a way that teaches us how to live. Jesus was humble. And what Paul is saying here is that that's what God intended, right, at the beginning, but it was broken. But because of what Jesus did now, if we follow his example, right, if we mirror Jesus' humility, if we mirror Jesus' intentionality, if we mirror Jesus' sacrifice, then we will be able to enjoy healthy marriages that bring God glory. Does that make sense, church? And that's what God is calling us to. Now, we have to remember that this is all because of Jesus. This is the time of our service where we get to respond. And shortly, we're going to have communion. And communion is to help us to remember what Jesus did. But I want to express this in the marital context. Now, as we celebrate communion, it, the body and the blood are the wine and the bread. They help us to remember how Jesus' body was broken and his blood was spilt. But what that idea is in, in the context of this passage is that it helps us to get right what we need to. That Jesus gave us the opportunity to be right with God, but with each other. And so as we take communion today, maybe there's something between you and your spouse. Maybe you're not practicing humility like Jesus practiced. Maybe you're not practicing intentionality like Jesus practiced. Maybe you're not being sacrificial the way Jesus was. When we take communion, it helps us to respond that because of what Jesus did, because of his broken body, because of his spilled blood, we have the opportunity to be right with each other and right with him. But it also remembers, it also helps us remember that we have victory. As we celebrate the, the, the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus, hey, guess what? You can have a healthy marriage. You can enjoy a healthy marriage that glorifies God because of what Jesus did. So as we, as we take communion, let's focus on those two things, that, that avenue of, man, I have the opportunity now to be right with God and right with my spouse. But also, man, I have victory. I can have a healthy marriage that glorifies God and I can enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage and I know the themes are hard, God, and it's not always easy to understand, but Lord, I ask that ultimately we would follow Jesus. 
that as Jesus showed us his humility, his intentionality, and his sacrifice, that we would follow that. That in our marriages, God, that we would be humble. That we would lead our families and our marriages with intentionality. We would love intentionally. God, and that we would not be afraid of sacrifice. Holy Spirit, help us to respond. God, if there's any relationships that need to be made right, I pray that we would do that today. Father, if there's anyone who's leaving, living defeated, thinking that they can't have a good marriage, God, I pray that today they would affirm the gospel that because of what Jesus did, they, they can have a healthy marriage that glorifies you in Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.